Welcome to Sometimes Dead is Better, and it's me, Kristen. And me, Chris. And we are here to talk about a horror movie with you. We are. And then I'm going to tell Chris some terrible things that happen in real life that reminds me of the movie. She sure is. (laughs) (laughs) So um, this episode I've been kind of looking forward to for a while. Yeah, you had mentioned it a while back. Yeah, it's um, one of our, what I would consider one of the sort of new classics, as it were. You know, there's this kind of indie renaissance horror movie genre and this is one of those sort of early ones yeah and this is 2014 mm-hmm. and we're doing uh, the babadook yes hashtag gay icon which <laughs> <laughs> right. well, <laughs> cracks me up so much yeah, and we'll get into that yes um so i'm excited but um before we um you know get into it um do we want to talk about what we're drinking or what we're watching how what? are we gonna do this watching watching okay this is like our 32nd episode i feel like we just switched it up the very last one we did did we <laughs> we didn't <laughs> Okay, so what are we watching? (laughs) You go first. Well, I binged on HBO The Righteous Gemstones. Okay. Have you watched it yet? No, I've not. It is so good, Chris. And there's one season? Yes. Okay. And it's Sean Goodman? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And Adam Devine and Danny McBride. Okay. And the woman in it who plays Judy is the funniest. Let me look look her name up real quick um i recognized her from i, I assume she's like a improv actor and she does a lot of stuff i recognized her from the between two ferns movie did you watch oh, that i love that yeah. i did too she was in that and she was hilarious too eddie patterson and she, or edie maybe edi Edie, yeah she's hilarious and then also there's a there's a guy named keith that's the character's name played by tony calavero who's hilarious tim baltz who was in if you watched the show Bajillion Dollar Listings is hilarious in it. It is just so funny and so well done. Um, Walter Goggins oh, yeah. plays the best character name in the history of anything, Uncle Baby Billy. And they constantly say his name, Uncle Baby Billy, Uncle Baby Billy, like when they're serious. And it's the best name in the well, whole what, world. What is the show about, though? Is it... Let me just tell you. (laughs) I'm trying to think of the word. What do you call it? Um, Evangelicals. Evangelicals, yes. Okay. John Goodman and his wife, who is played by, you'll never guess. No. Jennifer Nettles. Really? Yes. And she is wonderful. So the first time she sings a song, I was like, that actress is not singing that song. She can't sing that good. And I was like, oh my gosh. Not only can that actress sing that good, but that's Jennifer Nettles and she can act that good. So it's wonderful. And the song is wonderful it's on spotify you can listen to it it's called misbehavin and i was so proud of myself i did a show recently and i got to choose an intro song so i chose that i'm unrelated topic i'm very sad lately because everybody's been posting their spotify top decade songs and it's all very interesting but i have apple music and they have (sighs) have nothing like that it's very lame and i'm very sad because i would love to know what my top of the decade songs artists all that is did you see mine I did. Yeah. It was, was, you know, the Hamilton and the... So I'm very jealous. Apple Music sucks. My account, the one I share with the kids, we've been on since 2014. And so it shows through the years. And then Brian's, I think, I want to say it's like 2000 and... 
10 or something. He goes way back, I know. Yeah, I had one back, you know, then, 2009 or 10, and I used it all during law school, and but at some point, for some reason, I switched to Apple Music, and I forget why. Well, when Apple Music came out, it was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I really, I really liked it. We had the trial for a while, and uh, I mean, it's fine, but it doesn't do that, and that's that's all it takes. Yeah. That is such a cool thing. It was pretty neat. Um, so I want to get Spotify now. But anyway, um, the Righteous Gemstones. Yes, I right. recommend it. Yes. Okay. Well, um, what have what I been watching? Have you been watching? <laughs> um, I watched, um, and you know. This is December, so this is topical because it just came out. But I watched The Irishman on Netflix. Oh, um, all three and a half hours of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is wonderful, and I guess you don't really need me to convince people to watch this movie. <laughs> but you know, it's the latest. I was on the fence until Chris Doty from that podcast. Right, so. uh, it's the latest Scorsese thing, and it's sort of his spiritual sequel to Casino and uh, Goodfellas and um, you know those type of movies it's, and it's kind of a swan song I think for that whole genre or, or his thinking of that genre uh, it's very good it has De Niro it has Al Pacino in his very first Scorsese movie did you know what? that? What? He hasn't done one before this is the first one that's crazy I know he plays Jimmy Hoffa oh. and I didn't really know much about Jimmy Hoffa other than he you know disappeared at some point right. so that was an education he is really good in it, you know. You know, I mean, he's Pacino, so he's crazy, but right. it's uh, he's so adorable in it. Um, De Niro's great. Um, Joe Pesci is uh, just a little munchkin. <laughs> uh, he's fantastic. Um, it's a really good movie, and people say, "Oh, it's so long." It's like, yeah, it's long, but it's you know, just like binging anything. You just watch it, and um, I loved it. I thought it was um, fantastic. Uh, I hope it wins all the awards. I'm sad I didn't get to see it in the theater. Hmm. If, if anything, um, but maybe they'll re-release it. Maybe, yeah. But then I think, well, I mean, apparently no one else would make the movie except for Netflix. So that's Why? what you did because people don't want to make a. I don't know that that's a crazy. Yeah, it's, it's it is big. So they say they cannot get the movie made, which is that's insane, insane to me. Yeah. Well, but, I, um, I have not seen it yet. I watched. I started it, but I will tell you. So Brian, as soon as it came out, I was in Birmingham at my brother's. And Brian texted me and said, I just watched all three and a half hours of The Irishman. Mm. And that's a big thing for Brian, because when he gets time home by himself, he has a hard time deciding what to watch, you know? Yeah. Because there's so much. So he'll watch like 20 minutes of that, 10 minutes of that. So for him to sit and watch it on one go around, I knew it was good. So, but my brother and I... What did he say about it, Brian? Oh, he just loved it. He loved every minute of it. And he had just finished, like like you, he had just finished the rewatching of Sopranos. Didn't you do it? It wasn't that long ago. No. Well, yeah, I started. I, I'm like on season. Uh, yeah, I'm in the middle of it, actually. Okay. So he had just finished his rewatching of that. And I mean, Goodfellas is one of his favorite movies ever. Okay. So, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, but I was at my brother's, and my brother and I had taken the kids to Frozen 2 that day. Cute. We'd come home. We'd had dinner. My brother and I had some PBRs, and it was his birthday the week before so I bought him a thing of Fireball whiskey. Mm. And so we were taking Fireball shots and drinking PBR and eating the Fireball whiskey pumpkin pie I made him. Um, this is why I love my brother so much. So I went to his house for dinner. He goes by the grocery store and comes home and brings like a thing of sushi, like as an appetizer for us. He's like, here's your thing of sushi while our pizza is cooking. And then after we have PBRs and like we each have half of a pumpkin pie. And it sounds awesome. It is awesome. But if we like happen to live together again, we'd both be like <laughs> 400 pounds. But so anyway, so we were tired. I'd have the kids all day. He'd been at work all day. We started the Irishman. And then we both were like, 
let's just watch Frozen. So we watched the first Frozen instead and started that. But I can't <laughs> wait to watch it and sit down and actually. Yeah, it's definitely a tiny commitment. But I mean, it didn't feel that burdensome. And plus, it's, you know, completely compelling. And it's just a really good movie. So what are we drinking today? So the movie we are doing is The Babadook. Yes. A 2014 Australian movie. Australian, yes. By an Australian woman named Jennifer Kent. So I got a very nice Australian wine. It is Penley Estate, which is, I assume, where they live oh, absolutely. in the movie. Yeah, yeah. It's called Phoenix. It's a Kunawara. That sounds like a very Australian name, doesn't it? Like yes. Kookaburra. Is that a, it's Kookaburra, an Australian animal? I am just fucking everything up now. Um, it's a Cabernet. And it's got a beautiful phoenix on the front. And, I mean, I wasn't thinking at the time, but, I mean, she does kind of, like, she burns into ash, essentially. She hits rock bottom, and then she reemerges, right? As this beautiful phoenix with the sun on it. And it's a really good wine. Yeah, I've I've already had a couple sips. I think it's delicious. It's kind of dry. Is that the right word? There's a quote on it. It says, wine is sunlight held together by water. Galileo. Did they have pens back then? They wrote things down? Who knows? <laughs> All right. So let's get into this this movie. I Do they write things down back then? <laughs> so oh, crazy Chris. I remember watching this movie with my mother on Mother's Day. That's appropriate. And I did not remember everything that went along with it because I watched this movie with my mother, which means we probably had two bottles of wine. Mm. And probably at some point turned it off to watch an Ali Wong special or something. And things probably got crazy. So I did not remember how heavy it was. And also now having a six-year-old son that I'm having issues with, it was very triggering. Well, I'm glad I picked it. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, not that experience. But I also, I guess I watched it when it came out on DVD or streaming or something. Um, I remember I was in... I was still living in that apartment. So I guess it was just me. Like for some reason, I thought maybe we watched together, but I, I guess no. not. But I also didn't remember much about it. I seem to remember mostly things from memes that I've seen for the past <laughs> five years and just clips. I do remember it being fairly heavy. And I remember the vague, the general outlines of you know the thematic material. But I, I, I mean, I really, pretty much every scene was kind of new to me when I watched it. Um, I honestly re- remember it being in black and white. Oh, really? Because of the <laughs> book? I guess. Yeah. Okay. I've summarized, for some reason, pictured the whole movie being in black and white. I guess also the same time that movie, A Girl Walks Alone at Night, um, oh. came out, and that was black and white. Yeah, and I so didn't I, see that. Is that good? Yeah. Okay. But um, so I guess I was kind of thinking that it was that same sort of thing. I don't know. Yeah. Also, I guess because that kind of reminds me of the movie Repulsion, which is one of the Polanski movie. It's black and white. We, we do that movie, too. Can we do Roman Polanski movies? I don't know. I really don't know. I, I'm Okay. I mean, on one hand, and I will say this anytime, I love Rosemary's Baby I do too. so much. So much. <laughs> I mean, I look at the cover, I just, you know, just get so excited. Well, I just love the idea of this movie um, on two levels now as being scared as a kid and wanting my mom to take care of me and, and now having kids being scared. You know, I can look at it from both angles because Adam does the same thing that Samuel will do. He makes... He makes slingshots and things, and he says, if someone comes into the house, I'm going to defeat them with this. Does he really do that? Yes. I knew that. He says, if someone's going to break into the house, I'm going to use this against them. And so I just completely connected with this mom and the little boy, because there is that need 
for me to protect my kids constantly, but then you kind of forget they have that same need to protect you. And you may not see it, but they, they really do. And like, even like, I mean, at least more is in protecting my feelings and she stands up for me. Like when we were in Birmingham, my brother just made some silly comment about like, I mean, you make all that money doing comedy, you know, it's a joke because everybody knows you don't make any money. Right. But she just like jumped on him and she was like, oh, well, you think you can do that? You can't get up in front of those people and do that. She just shows in front of 200 people. You can't do that. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, <laughs> it's OK. So she just like that need to protect me is there, too. That's great. It's very interesting. It was a lot to put on me, Chris. <laughs> well, I mean, I but guess. I'm very glad we watched it again. I loved it. I guess it was I watched it twice. Idea. I feel like we've talked about it before, though. But yeah, so obviously I have I have none of that um, coming into it. You have nieces, though. You have the need. You would feel that same thing to protect your nieces. Right, right. I, I guess I, when I watched it, I think more about this idea of, like, this woman's terror that she's going to just snap and maybe not be able to either take care of her son or uh, worse hurt her son well, that's, that's another kind of, level to it yes yeah that we'll see that's where the level i enter with into with it also i mean just the scenes she has of trying to sleep with your child it's so awful it's just the way it is him grinding his teeth putting you know slapping her in the face kicking her i mean when i sleep with elise sometimes i have to literally like just take her and push her whole body away from me because she just gets all on top of me and they cut you with her toenails it's yeah and i think that's i mean that's what the ultimate i think the horror of it is is like these sort of everyday familiar things and uh in a way i think it's it's kind of a you know inverse of the shining in a way like in in that movie obviously a lot of it's about the boy or the family being afraid of the father and this one it's you know a the boy a little bit being afraid of the mother but you know more so the mother being afraid that she's kind of hurt her son or just you know the mother's sort of guilt about being so frustrated with her son just yes. all the time yes uh, and i like i've never said anything as bad to my kids that she kind of says she does some pretty bad things yeah um but, <laughs> but again the, the babadook ba- is trying to was, get in she was babadook <laughs> yes but i have said mean things to my kids or i've been too mean to them and then you immediately feel that guilt and it's just that the stress builds up and it's the same thing they did it so well in this movie also just her like trying to get samuel ready for school he won't sit still i mean the other day like every morning it's not we don't have like a it's not stressful every morning but it is almost stressful you know it's like with a point where elisa's not had breakfast yet but she's put her gloves on and she's trying to get her snack and get her cereal it's like take your gloves off do that make your breakfast first gloves last so it's just i don't know i just felt it so much now i've never been called to school but for bringing weapons but also i thought it was really cool when he gave her a big hug and squeezed her but she had that toothache oh yeah and sometimes their love hurts i thought that was just so like a a literal way of showing it like but she has this toothache that she hasn't gotten taken care of because she's too busy taking care of everybody else right right and then he hurts it it's just so layered i just i can't believe how good this movie is and i didn't realize it the first time I saw it. Well, so, I mean, I guess we should talk about... So we have Amelia, right? Mm-hmm. This is the person we're talking about. She's a single mother. She's a widow. Mm-hmm. Widowess? Widow? <laughs> <laughs> um, so it opens with this sort of bizarre, abstract, you know, slow-motion car crash. You know, her husband... Yeah. It kind of reminded me of the descent a little bit, That you know, that accident. Yes. Um, we I, I think we later learned that yes. she's... Oh, that's terrible. But yes. she's, she's seen some shit when yes. that accident happened. 
So he dies in this car accident, and it's revealed at some point that he died on the way to the hospital so she could give birth to... It's revealed because Samuel tells a stranger, (laughs) which is also just, like, so what kids do. It's amazing how, you know, you tell... I've say that. No, but they say things they're not supposed to say. Sure, sure, yeah. And that just comes out. And again, like, they, they keep making the... Well, the neighbor, the sweet little neighbor lady, Mrs. Roach, who we'll get to says that he just speaks his mind just like her his dad did but most kids do that but i guess he's he's even more extroverted and yeah well i mean the movie starts and he's very from the get-go wild wild and so and i mean he's very much a six-year-old boy though very much but but a bit extra yes don't you agree and there's this idea like you know you know, or you can see why she's so frustrated all the time. He's basically a problem child. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, he's uh, he's not necessarily a brat or anything, but he's just he's definitely a handful for sure. Which and, is that actually really cool to see in a movie, let alone a horror movie. I just watched The Ring the other night, and I still love The Ring, but that Aiden kid, come on! I haven't seen that forever. I'd like to watch that again. He calls his mom by his first na- by her first name. He gets up and takes care of. His, he gets his own breakfast and his own lunch, and he goes to and get and irons her dress for her. Yeah. You know, they just always make the kids older than they seem. And this kid is like a kid. Just that, a, and he's just a terror. And yeah, and uh, so yeah, so I mean, it's good to see that every now and then. And like, there's scenes where he's just sitting there screaming. And you're just like, oh my gosh, shut up! But it didn't really occur to me, like you know, well, I guess the scenes of the mom, 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 mom. Yeah. That's that's so much of it. It's just that repetitiveness. It's just the mom, mom, look, look, look. Yeah, look mom, at me. Look. Watch it this. won't work if yeah. you don't look. Right, and uh, so I mean, I never had to really deal with that, but I, I'm, I'm aware of it. I have nieces, and you know, I'm around kids. Uncle nothing. Chris, Uncle Chris. Right, you know, but um, but I can see that frustration. But he's either way, he's definitely beyond. He's the next level. So I guess watching this time, it, I guess like so, has he already been Babadook? <laughs> like, is he? Because he talks about how he's, you know, seeing... I think he knows that the Babadook is trying to get in. Right. Which is a, another thing in horror movies where kids are more sensitive to these things going on that we can't see. But I think he knows the Babadook's trying to get in because he's trying to protect her. That's why right. he's building the weapons. But that's, that's why he's, why doing he's this. being so extra, you know, and just annoying, basically. He's dealing with something. It's not yes. just... Okay. Because, you know, I guess at first I thought, oh, God, he's just an annoying kid for no apparent reason. But... Which is fine, but I think it does seem to be that, no, the Babadook's kind of operate on him, like it later operates on his mother, which turns her into just a nightmare. Mm-hmm. And at first, we just don't see what's making him this way, which just makes it... I think there is... there. I still have some questions about that, like how much of... Is there anything that he is doing, or is it all the Babadook? Like, is... Did the Babadook really put glass in her soup? I don't or know. He? I think he did, but he would have didn't... I mean, like... It seems like the Babadook kind of possesses you a little bit. I mean, if we're going to take it literally, if we just sort of strip the metaphor I mean, from it. I mean, it clearly possessed her. Right. I mean, it, well, does it? I mean, who knows? I mean, it goes I, into her mouth. Right. In she her spits bag. up black oil. Yeah. I mean, I think we have to roll with it. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know if it actually goes inside of Samuel or is it just that he knows what's going on and he's trying to call her attention to it. So he does these extreme things. So did he put the glass in there and then he's like, it's the Babadook who did it? Oh, he actually yeah. did it. The Babadook is ultimately this, and you, you see at the end, obviously, but it's sort of the metaphor right. for... <laughs> it's funny. I tried to explain this to Elise somehow. The Babadook came up. 
And I try to explain as, it does. <laughs> as a metaphor for for your anxieties right. and your mental illnesses and the things that you try to keep away, but you yeah. have to address. And she was just like, "Cool, cool. Can we listen to some music?" <laughs> Sometimes I plays Beverly soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> She's so mature. Sometimes I think I try to put too much on her, and she just like. Cool. Uh, so it's a scary monster? Okay. Yeah, I guess, yeah, that's all I need to know sometimes. But yeah, so Samuel, he's the kid. He's, uh, he's again, handful. He's a magician. Uh, he likes doing things like that. Um, the mother, the way it's presented, she is fed up from the get-go, and you kind of see why. Who's that calls him the boy at the beginning of the movie? Someone calls oh, like him the, the principal? Bo- the principal does. Mm-hmm. And she has to, don't call him the boy, he's which kind of comes up later. He's Samuel. Mm-hmm. Um, Give me the boy. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so that's kind of interesting. But he, he's always in trouble at school, um, and like you say, he's very forthright. And you know, he tells the nurse or the principal that my dad's in the cemetery. He got killed driving my mom to the hospital to have me. And yeah. just were like, yeah. oh, the, the lady in the grocery store. Yeah. Oh, the lady in the grocery store. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Which is what they do. Yeah. There's that scene though um, on the playground where he's on top of the jungle gym, and he's like, "Mom, look at me." Did that not remind you of the Omen a little bit? Oh, Where, yeah, look at me. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Even the way it's kind of framed. Yeah. I'm not sure what she'd be doing with that. But, you know, Damien, look at me. And, of course, yes. that's sort of the flip of it, you know. Where, um, but I'm, I'm almost positive they were riffing on that a little bit. That scene, for some reason, really bugged me. Well, uh, I find the humor in it just because that's what kids do. They say, look, 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 watch, watch, watch. Right. And you don't. And then for the one second, you don't look. They climb up into something and get hurt. <laughs> right. So, I mean, I think there's also a little bit of humor to it yeah, that I she mean, has in there because obviously raising kids is very hard. And I mean, the things he says are pretty funny. Yeah. I have been going through a lot with my six year old. And so, this again, it's just like when I was watching this, I was like, oh my goodness. Yeah, again, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> but it really helped me. Okay. You know, um, because I don't have that Babadook that's a lot of women. Or parents do have that, where they don't know if this stress and anxiety of raising kids is going to go away. They may leave the kid. You know, they may, whatever. Um, they may have to get a divorce. It's too stressful. And my, my kid's nothing like Samuel. Adam is the sweetest little boy in the sure whole is. world. Oh, my gosh. Um, and he's my buddy. He's my best friend. But he has real bad anxiety. And he's been going through a lot. And there's times where he will not get on the school bus and I am shaking with anger, wanting to get, try just, you have to go get in the school bus and I physically have to pick him up and try and put him on the school bus. And if that doesn't work, then we'll have to take him to school and walk him down. And the PE teacher and the assistant principal have to literally drag him to class. And then once he gets there, his kindergarten teacher picks him up and everything's fine. He's awesome. And then he comes home happy. But he goes to therapy for this. He goes to play therapy. And then lately he hasn't been going. He won't go back. He'll sit in the corner. So it's just, it's a lot. Well, I mean, have you pinned down what it is he's anxious about? Or or is it just... Well, it's a lot of separation anxiety for me. Okay. And then he just has, like, general anxiety. Is he shy at school? He's he's not so bad at school. Yeah. He talks to his friends. He has best friends. And he talks to his teachers. And, you know, people always use that analogy of... Well, you got to put your oxygen mask on on the airplane before you put your kids on. And it's like, well, what if there's not enough fucking time to do that? Sometimes it feels like there's not enough time to give myself the oxygen mask before them. 
I really liked seeing it, especially at this time, because now things are getting better. Oh, good. But every day is you never know how he's going to wake up. And I'm just sharing that because also it plays a lot into the movie. But if anyone happens to be listening, who's going through something similar. Hello there, Kristen here. Thank you so much for listening. We want to invite you to come join our Facebook group. Sometimes groups are better. There are a lot of cool people in there. We talk about the movies Chris and I review, new horror movies coming out, true crime, pop culture. It's really fun. We would also be so grateful if you would go on iTunes and subscribe and rate and review or subscribe on whatever podcasting app you use. It really helps us to be seen by more awesome people like you. And we want to continue to build this great community. Also, follow us on Instagram at Sometimes Dead Podcasts. We'll post pictures of the drinks we're drinking or pictures of the true crimes we're doing. While you're there, follow Gabby Watts, who does our amazing theme song. Follow her band at Gabby Rots, G-A-B-B-I-E-R-O-T-T-S. And remember, sometimes dead is better. Amelia, is that her name? Yes. She works at a nursing home. So again, she is there taking care of people all day long. Then she comes home. I didn't think about that. Yeah. Yeah. Then she takes care of her neighbor. She takes care of her kid. And there's a guy at work who kind of seems to like her. He's adorable. Yeah. That doesn't go very far, does it? No. (laughs) Um, He, 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 you know, she seems kind of uninterested. Um, Her ex-husband, her, not her ex-husband, but her her widowed uh, husband was pretty hot. So hot. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so she may just be a little bit hung up on, on that. But I was he, like, I get it, yeah. man. <laughs> but that guy's cute. He's, you know, he seems, he's really nice. You know, maybe don't show up unannounced with flowers. I don't know. Right. But. They have uh, some great transitions between day and night, kind of like oh, hereditary. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, exactly. Yeah, where she's under the covers, mm-hmm. and it looks like she's – like covers are moving, but mm-hmm. then you realize, oh, it's just like because it's eight hours happening really right. fast. And, you know, she's kind of kicking the covers or whatever. Or it's the Babadook. I don't know. But, yeah, I love those transitions. <laughs> is she the witch? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, uh, and then so she takes her son, Samuel, over to her sister's house. And her sister has a little girl. That doesn't go well. No. Um, she He um, throws her out of the treehouse, in fact. <laughs> well, that's at her birthday party. Oh, that's her birthday? What that's, happens before that? So before... Oh, she he just scares the shit out of her yes. because he's talking about the Babadook. But before all... Even before all that, her... The cute boy at work says, I'll cover for you. You leave early. And there's some scenes of her just like walking through the mall, eating an ice cream cone. And I mean, if you have, it doesn't matter if you haven't had a kid, but maybe if you had a really, really stressful job or if you've been in a really bad relationship and you like get a break and you just have a few moments to like breathe where you felt like you had no air for so long. Yeah. They really show that. She's just like, eating an ice cream cone and it's just especially after you've had a baby and you just feel like you're not yourself anymore and then you finally get out by yourself uh, yeah, so that she kind of had her she never seems bit. to have her own sort of life her own personality even like she always looks exhausted um, mm-hmm. and frankly she looks just terrible all the time um, you know she doesn't really bother to do her hair or anything which, and she's but more importantly she seems to have no real kind of inner life like it's just all about yeah it's all about helping and, others 
uh, her job, and um, yeah, that's relatable. And meanwhile, Samuel will not stop talking about the goddamn monster. And what does she tell him? All you gotta do is don't talk about the Babadook at your cousin's house. (laughs) And all he does is talk about the Babadook. But have you ever, like, I'm very much like that type of person, like Samuel, where, like, when I wanted a dog, and Brian didn't want a dog, but I wanted one so bad that I could not help myself from talking about it all the fucking time <laughs> and driving him crazy. So I get that, too. Like, there's a Babadook living in his house. Yeah. Did you know? <laughs> and he feels he's got to talk about it. So I actually kind of feel that. So yeah. he got to tell his cousin about it. And so he freaks her out. I mean, that's news that he, uh, yeah, I mean, I would yeah, share that. <laughs> so Amelia comes to pick him up and he throws firecrackers at her. <laughs> and this made me laugh so hard when she says where'd you get those firecrackers and he says the internet and she says well that's the end of the internet <laughs> and she says that's her mom thing to say you know it's like well um, then that's the end of that like this thing that you can't live without well have, have they found the actual Babadook book yet I guess so yeah so I mean, they must have read the night before so right. let's talk about that so they find which this happens in our house too like yeah. things appear you know you never know if they got it from school or a friend left it over um, it is still weird that they happen to find this book on the shelf. Yeah, it seems maybe a bit more nefarious, but but who knows? it's called Mr. Babadook. Mr. Babadook. Yes, he's a title. Yes, it's <laughs> <laughs> cute. Yeah, it's a pop-up book. Yeah. Did you know that when the movie was released, that the director made yes. like I don't know ten thousand copies of the pop-up book, and you know sold them either to raise money or just as part of the promotion. Um, I would kill for one. Yeah, and it's even. I, I think would babadook you for one. <laughs> I think it has, has even more than the one the movie does, mm. which of course changes depending on who reads it, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, but Samuel seems to find it because she says where she's finding is it. oh it's on in the shelf. So who the fuck knows where he got it from? But it's um, so she reads it to him that night or one night, and it's you know it doesn't go well. He ends up <laughs> crying in her lap, which is uh, such. A thing I can relate to, too. Yeah. I mean, I guess it like could be any you, book, you know, really. But mm-hmm. but you always kind of, like, go into these things where a certain movie kind of, you know, tepidly, and then you start to think, you know, maybe we should turn this off. Maybe we should turn this off. And then you kind of go too far, and the kid starts crying and is scared the whole night. I've right. done that many a time. So I don't remember what all the cute lines are on the end of the book, but they're all pretty creepy. You know, the, they are very You creepy. can't get rid of the bad book. I, I know that. Yes. Um, and then... The when it takes version. off, it's funny disguise. Right. Yeah, it's creepy. Ooh. And in the in the first version, it's all about the Babadook coming after a kid, because mm-hmm. I guess at that point, that's kind of what it's about. Right. Um, and it, you know, it's centered around that, and of course, he just goes, he loses it, and that sort of. Um, and I guess she hides at that point. She doesn't quite get rid yeah, of it. Yeah, she puts it up high somewhere. Right. So then he starts talking about the Babadook nonstop, including, like I said, to his cousin. Um, and he starts maybe seeing it around the house. So then they're not sleeping well, but they do still go to his cousin's birthday party, which his, her sister had kind of mentioned earlier, you know, maybe you should celebrate his birthday on the day. And then we learn a little bit later. I love how she gives you those little bits at a time. Because yeah. we learn later, well, she doesn't want to celebrate on the day because that's the day her husband died, right. the day his dad died. Right. Yeah. So they, I guess they have been doing joint parties. but They're all about maybe not inviting him. Uh, the aunt does, does not want him to come. Uh, no. But then the, there's also the scene when one of her, her sister's friends says that she works with disadvantaged women. She doesn't see that. How to, can she, she not? But she doesn't see that as being kind of rude. And um, Amelia kind of hits 
hits her back. Yeah, you know? slaps right back. Yeah, which is pretty good. But I also love that scene because there's so many times when one of my kids have been in a really bad mood or they're crying, and the excuse you always use is, they're just so tired. They're just right, so tired. Right, yeah. And that usually is true because yeah. kids don't like to fucking sleep for some reason. I don't understand. They don't like to eat. They don't like to sleep. And it is true for Samuel. He is also being haunted by a Babadook, but <laughs> he also, they haven't been sleeping. Yeah. And so he's very tired. And so, but she sends him off. And I've done that before. Like, just go play. And he goes. Um, but then Ruby is super mean to him. She is, yeah. I mean, you don't deserve to have a dad, that type of thing. God. So, yeah, I mean, that's a good Kids point. Kids are like that, though. I remember, this is a horrible example, but I, just, I remember when I was a kid, uh, my friend's uh, sister was killed in a car wreck, right? Oh, my gosh. And I just remember that was kind of his story for a while, you know, like that was like kind of what defined him. Mm-hmm. And so everybody was usually nice to, but I remember like, you know, in middle school, like if, if anyone wanted to make fun of him for some reason, it'd be about that. I remember one kid even saying that at some point, like, you know, well, you can't even handle having a sister or something like that. Like that actually happens. Like that's how oh mean gosh. kids are. Yeah. Um, and he was not much, well, I mean, he was maybe 10 or 11 at that time, but. That is awful. That's what that reminded me of for some reason. That's got really heavy. I mean, for a two. No, but that's a uh, great example. What also, it, it didn't. I didn't think about it from Claire, who is the sister's point of view, is like she's probably having a lot of issues with her daughter, too. Maybe not in the same ways that her sister is, but she's a bit of a brat. And whether she's making it worse or not, I don't know. Yeah, but. I mean, she could see like uh, Samuel was like the extreme example of what her kid could be if, you know, on a bad day or something, and that may bother her. And so he pushes her out of the treehouse. <laughs> right. So what? Yeah. Which she deserves. <laughs> right. I mean, it's pretty brutal, but. These catch yourself. Happen. Don't catch yourself with your face. <laughs> Sorry, I'm Team Samuel. Uh, what do you talk about where he, um, you know, there's that scene where he goes, Samuel goes downstairs to play with his dad's clothes, items, mm-hmm. things. And, you know, he apparently he's not really supposed to be down there. Yeah. Or Amelia sees, I guess it's her husband's clothes mm-hmm. on the wall. So is that the Babadook's clothes? Is that where the Babadook's clothes come from? Is that kind of what she's seeing the whole That's time? That's Oscar's clothes. Right. And that seems to be, I mean, maybe, I think um, Samuel hung them up like that. Yeah. But I wonder if that encouraged the Babadook. Because then the Babadook, I don't know if he takes the form of Oscar. Right. And That's kind of what I clothes. mean. Because yeah, at the end, it goes back to the cellar, you know. Mm-hmm. And, but, and that's also where, so is that kind of what's going on there is like, I mean, the Babadook is obviously somehow tied up very closely with Oscar. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's, but it's also very, every time you see it, you know, which isn't much, you just, it's very much defined by his kind of his outfit, you know. But that, I mean, the clothes that were hanging up on the wall were just normal, though. Like, when you see it in the police station, it definitely looks like a, I mean, it definitely okay, looks like yeah. an Edward Gorey type character that they put in there. You know what I mean? Right. I guess it just reminds me, I mean, it, to me, it looked very Babadook-y. And maybe... <laughs> Maybe just any combination of clothes at that point is going to look like that to me. Uh, I don't know, but anyway. I mean, you're 100% supposed to think, or I mean, associate Oscar's clothes on the wall, right? And also the Babadook's clothes on the wall at the police station. Okay. I mean, I think, I think you're, I think that's right. But I think I don't know if maybe he put them up to pretend that he has a dad, because that's that's whenever the cute guy comes over. And then, right, right. And I did like that. That it wasn't like he didn't come over later or save the day. He was like, all right, He's kind of we're out. done here. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, to be honest, she's not really, she doesn't seem very receptive. She's just, she's, she doesn't have time. She's not about that life right no, now. No, she does not have time. Yeah. Chris, she doesn't have time to put her own oxygen mask on before her son, let alone have a boyfriend. Anyway, 
Yeah, so, I mean, around that time, she finds, you know, the, the glass and the soup. I mean, there's just all kinds of stuff going on. But after the party, we have the scene where the kid, Samuel, has the episode in the backseat of the car. And that's tough to watch. Yes. Um, because is that I, when the Babadook comes into the car or is later? Well, I, I think the idea is that the Babadook's in the car with them. Because mm-hmm. he's saying, get yes, out, get, get out. out, get out, which is repeated later, you know, by her, I think. And so, of course, you don't see it. You just see it from her point of view. But I guess the idea is that it's there, or at least he thinks it's there. And then he has, I mean, I guess some sort of almost like a seizure. He collapses. Right. right. Um, he goes to the hospital. Yeah, he's a doctor. That doctor has that great line where he says, um, all children see monsters, which mm-hmm. is interesting. Um, but he gives him some pills. And around this time, you know, he starts acting you know, better. And yeah. you kind of take it on face value as well. He's on, he's medicated. But also, it, maybe it's because, you know, the Babatuka sort of shifted his attention to her, mm-hmm. you know. And then she starts becoming awful. And he's actually, you know, sort of more, you know, at least subdued and, you know. Well, yeah, so we need to talk about when she gets the the new book. Yeah. So when she opens it up now, it's not about the boy. The Babadook is looking at, is looking over her. The Babadook shows her. And, the, and I, it's so good, the, the pop-up book, but also how they make it, I mean, look almost like a real scene in a movie where mm-hmm. she snaps the dog's neck. And then it shows her snapping his neck and then slicing her own throat. It's, it's pretty terrifying. It's yeah. so scary. So she f- freaks out and it says, the more you deny, the stronger I get. And then she burns that. Well, that's, well I guess that she burns that book. Oh, is that what she burns? Okay. Well, no, I think it comes she, rips back. Up, she rips up the first yeah. one and just throws it away. Right. The second one, I think she rips it up and burns it. Oh, okay. Because then she goes to the police and she's and like, then she has no evidence. I yeah. got this book and I burned it. And that's when you first see <laughs> so freaky when you see the Babadook. Because it's kind of cartoony, you know, yeah. his whole outfit with the top hat. But it is so scary. I have a joke too about um, like our foreplay. Brian and I is like him putting on a. <laughs> Freddy Krueger claws and a Babadook top hat, and I know I don't know if, if some people ever get the Babadook top hat reference, but I don't care because it makes me so happy. But anyway, yeah, then the Babadook calls her on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> right. How do all these things know how to call on the phone? Again, again I just watched The Ring. Like, yeah. how does this spirit know to call on the phone? Yeah, but at least it tells her who it is. Like, <laughs> Babadook. Oh my gosh! Isn't that the scariest thing? Yeah. Baba. It's like hello. Yes. Oh my gosh! It's so scary. Yeah. Who is this? <laughs> You're <Sir>? just telling her. <laughs> There's a crazy scene where she finds the infestation of roaches okay. by the refrigerator. And- it can't be a coincidence that she's getting an infestation of roaches and roaches keep showing up and her neighbor's name is this roach. Oh, interesting. Is that Mrs. Roach trying to help? Because it's trying not really to get happening, her attention? it seems like. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. I never thought about that. Also, is the hole in the wall behind the refrigerator, it looks like a vagina, right? Yeah, I did think that. Yeah. Okay. Because I think also there's a level of, like, postpartum depression that happens after you have children. Oh, wow. On this. I mean, don't you think? I hadn't really thought about that way. I mean, I guess... That's tough. I think that that's also something you can read into it. Obviously, the kid is six now. Yeah. And also because her her trauma is so wrapped up in the husband dying. Right. But Um, I just... Then that's a vagina. And there's roaches coming out of it. I don't know. Wow. Yeah. Just a lot. No. I think that's probably (laughs) right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why it's behind the refrigerator, but anyway. Um, but either way, the police come, or the DHR comes, or right. Department of whatever the Australian people have. You right. Know. 
and she tries to make sure make it seem like everything's okay. Yeah, and the kid says, "Well, I'm really tired from the drugs mom gave me." <laughs> Um, but he is doing better, and uh, but and the she whole does, she does have a prescription. Yeah, but see, at this point, and this is what's interesting to me is like the movie flips. Like it, the first half is about the mother having an awful son to be as flippant as possible, and the second half of the movie is the son having an awful mother. Right. <laughs> so it's sort of you know the second half is you know, again like the female shining basically, where mm-hmm. the first half is different, and it's all it seems basically flipped on whichever attention the Babadook is going after. So, although I wouldn't say the second movie, second half of the movie is necessarily from Samuel's point of view, because it's still always from Amelia's point of view. So she starts, you know, really flipping out. She starts hallucinating, uh, and this all sort of builds up to the Babadook attacking her in the bedroom, right? Well, yeah, but first she sits in the bathtub and then brings her son to the bathtub right. in, in their clothes, which yeah. is very terrifying. Fully clothed, yeah. It's nice and warm in here. Yes, because a so. lot of women... That like Drown the, their children. Oh, God. I was thinking more about the womb or something. And we'll like. get to that later. <laughs> okay. Great. Okay. <laughs> You're not going to do Susan Smith, are you? No, but that is an example. Okay. This one's worse. All right. So, that, yeah, the Babadook uh, actually crawls into her room and crawls on the ceiling. Yeah. yeah. And apparently they, they did all that with stop motion, which is kind of cool. Interesting. Yeah, they did with stop motion. And they kind of smoothed it out with, like, you know, digital effects to make it not look so kind of stop motioning but she, the director mentioned that she was kind of amused that people were saying oh it looks so fake and she's like yeah it's supposed to it's supposed to look like really pop-up bookie and you know it's terrifying yeah i think it's scary yeah i think just the idea of going from a villain who is just in a pop-up book to becoming something real is the most terrifying thing that's so clever and I and then he so she, he he guess he jumps into her mouth kind of yeah I mean he possesses her so yeah. that's sort of the and she's visual thing they do really but. out of it she's oh I love all the scenes with the TV yeah now so she's watching some really fucked up stuff that's gotta be I didn't know how much of that was real television and how much of it wasn't I did read that some of it is a real 1930s horror movie okay and I can't is that the, is that the one at the end. With the, Maybe, yeah. But, yeah, it's some scary stuff. And also, is that some sort of commentary on us watching television or what we take in? Oh, well, I mean, I mean, are we talking about the, the newscast scene? There's just so much. Yeah, the scene where she's watching the news story uh, about yeah. the mother that kills her children. And then it's her yes. in the window. That was so great. Yeah. <laughs> and so she's kind of smiling. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that was wonderful. Um, so, yeah, she's slowly... Not slightly. I mean, she's pretty quickly losing her mind. But she's also, it's not quite her, maybe. it's you She's know. trying to, you can tell she's kind of trying to fight it. Right, right. Because she goes down to the basement at some point. Right. And hot, hot Oscar is there. Yeah, hot Oscar. Oh, man. <laughs> and um, he's got an Australian accent. I bet he surfs. You know, I bet, he, know he, surfs. <laughs> I bet he cooks a good frittata. He just looks like, <laughs> man. So she has like a moment with him. It also, was so creepy. I guess his last, the last thing he ever said to her was, "I think it's about to rain," because I say that a couple times. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And um, um, but then she's, but then he starts saying, "Bring me the boy." Yeah. Well, he says we can be together. So if you bring me the boy or something like that, and that's when it sort of really twists. I think. So freaky, and but then at that point she kind of pulls away from him. So she's trying to fight it. Right. And she realizes, no, she needs to save Samuel. Yeah, but is that when she's attacked in the bedroom? Because at some point she becomes, like, fully possessed, right? She's, yeah, she's attacked twice. Okay. At one point it goes into her mouth, 
And then she wakes up the next morning. And at some point, it attacks her again. She's crawling across the floor. Right. And the poor dog didn't make it. All right. So I guess we'll get down to the big showdown. Yeah. There's a, I mean, there's a few. I mean, he's fighting her a lot. He shoots her in the arm with a dart. He's using his weapons. He's yeah, been preparing for this. Yeah, I mean, we're in full-on shining territory now, I think. Except even more... But he doesn't have that like same fear, I think. Because he knows his mom is still in there. And he says to her, I know this isn't you. Yeah, that's, that's fair. So when I was talking about the Jack Torrance thing, I was um, really talking about... There's this scene where um, the kid tells uh, Amelia... I just want you to be happy. Mm-hmm. But she responds in the same voice. I just want you to be happy. Yeah. And that's very much Jack Torrance mimicking Wendy Torrance. Yes. Know, in The Shining. And uh-huh. that, so I think that, I think that, I think that they must be playing with that a little bit because it's oh, yeah. completely twisted. Yeah. But then he says, yes, um, that he's hungry. He needs to eat something with his medicine. He's trying to be practical. He's trying to do what he's supposed to do. And then she says, if you're so hungry, why don't you go eat shit? <laughs> so mean. Yeah. Um, but at this point, so he is going full Kevin McAllister. <laughs> yes, yes. I just watched that for the first time with my kids. Right. They loved it. So he is, um, because she's obviously crazy, so he's, he's shooting with her darts, arrows, yes. and there's all these booby traps everywhere. He's got her tied up. He knocks her in the head. Yeah. So at some point, she ends up in the basement. <laughs> yes. And she's completely tied up. She kind of gets sad a little bit, but... It, it all ends well. She ends up being somehow vomiting out the Babadook. Right. How does that all come about? Like, I guess he just... Oh, she starts choking Samuel. I forget about that. Yes. And then I think she kind of just sort of... Oh, because he tells her, like, it's me or whatever, and she kind of comes to her senses. And then she herself vomits out the Babadook. Yes. Uh, and which is... That kind of reminds me also of the X-Files. That's sort of black oil thing. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a whole different thing. But Right. Um, so that's that's great. Uh, but then there's that great line where, you know, they're kind of going upstairs and the kid says, well, you know, you can't get rid of the Babadook. Because right. that's from the goddamn book. Right. <laughs> and kids will quote back to you, yeah. you know. that's That was awesome. I'm so glad that Mrs. Roach was okay. The next door neighbor. You know, she was so important to them and... For them to be a healthy family, they needed Mrs. Roach. Because um, in most horror movies, she they probably would have killed her, you know, somehow. Yeah. She would have killed her somehow. So just the dog was the only casualty. So then we have the end. Uh, we have, um, so yeah, after he says, you know, you can't get rid of Babadook, Babadook yanks that fucker. <laughs> he pulls him all the way upstairs. Um, that, that's pretty shocking when that happens, yeah. I think. Uh, and then we have this very crazy sort of almost mental battle between Amelia and the Babadook. The husband appears again, you know, and it's completely sort of, you know, weird, abstract, and we don't quite know what's going on. Um, but she defeats him. She does. She faces, I guess she faces it. Right. That's what he said. That's what that book says. The more you deny, right. the stronger I get. So she has to face this grief. She has to face whatever's going on in her life. And then she essentially defeats the Babadook. So I think everything's done until, I guess, I don't know if it's the next day or a few uh, days later, they seem to be doing well. She's working in the garden. They're collecting worms. Yeah. Which is what we, I mean, kids do. Is it? Yes. Okay. My daughter, you know, Elise. Oh, yeah. She likes stuff like that. Yeah. Well, she loved worms. You know what she called them when she was little? What? Amis. We have no idea why. It was the cutest fucking thing in the whole wide world. And there was one day when it rained and we had all these trash bags outside full of leaves. There was so many Amis outside. She was so excited. She was about three. She went out there and just was picking up Amis all day long. Anyway, but so then we see that Amelia goes down to the basement with her worms. Yeah. 
and has to face her Babadook, and she has to feed it. Yeah, but she feeds it, yeah, which is interesting. Yes. And uh, Samuel asks if he can see the Babadook, and she says, you can see it when you're older, which is essentially saying you can face this grief and this pain and whatever else you're going to go through when you're older. What do you take from the fact that she's feeding it? Like, what do you think that's all about? I think that is you have to you have to accept the fact whatever your Babadook is, whether it's a substance abuse, whether it's postpartum depression, whether it's um, grief, whatever it is, you have to face it. You can't deny it, and you have to feed it. And feeding it could means therapy, means talking about it, means addressing it, and that's the only way that you can live your life. And it just meant, I mean, I'm glad you recommended this. It meant a lot to me. Well, good. Yes. It's interesting. I read the, this comment from the director and because they were talking about a sequel. And she actually owns the rights mm-hmm. to it. She goes, no, there's no, there will never be a sequel. That defeats the whole purpose of the movie. She didn't yeah. really explain why. But it, it kind of makes sense. The, you know, the Babadook itself is such a metaphor that it would defeat the whole thing if it came back like Freddy Krueger or something. And Yes. Uh, I guess I also didn't, we didn't mention the fact that this is a, female writer and director yeah which I, we've talked about before there needs to be more women in horror movies yeah, this is her first movie too apparently there was a short movie she done that this sort of grew out of called mm-hmm. monster That's like awesome. 10 years before she mm-hmm. you know she actually um she worked for um Lars von trier really on dogma she wrote him she was dissatisfied with her career i think i forget what she was doing and she wrote him said can i study under you and just learn how to kind of direct and he's like sure and so he and she said that's like that was like her film school was working on that one movie for Lars von Trier. And then a few years later, she wrote the script for this. It, that took a while. She got all the parts right. She got all the cast right. She spent forever doing it until it was just right. And then she shot it. Oh, that's amazing. Um, I mean, I saw that she was an actress before. And she. That, yeah, that's what she was dissatisfied with. She was oh. kind of just going nowhere. And she's like, I don't want to do this one direct. But I need to learn When how. she met Essie Davis, who plays the lead character. They were friends in school. Oh, okay. And so I can't wait to see. This is 2014, though. I haven't, I don't know what she's been doing. She's done a few, one or two things since. And The Nightingale, which I, I've heard the of. The Nightingale, yeah. yes. Yeah, I haven't seen it. I've heard of it. But um, so, yeah. And, I'll, you know, she's also part, again, like I kind of said before, this new troupe of indie horror filmmakers that, you know, her and then there's, you know, Robert Eggers did The Witch. Of course, mm-hmm. my boy Ari Oster. Yes. Um, I think that. In time, people are going to look back at 2014 and 2015 yeah. as a very big year in horror. Yeah, exactly. Kind of like how we were looking back at 78 and 79. Yeah. You know, I think it'll be fascinating. We'll be old and gray, but we'll be still recording this podcast. <laughs> right. Well, one last thing we didn't address is that um, the Babadook is now an absolute gay icon. Right. Do you um, know how that started? Yes. Okay. I think. I, I was kind of reading about it. Um, so there's three different stories with competing narratives but they all I think the genesis is that someone tweeted about the Babadook um, being a gay icon as a joke and around the same time Netflix on accident put (laughs) Babadook under the LGBT category right and people saw that and you know maybe but it kind of grew from that and so people just sort it just this avalanche of like started as a joke and then people like started taking it more and more seriously and now you actually have people showing up at you know gay pride parades <laughs> dressed as a Babadook it's amazing yeah it's so great there's even my favorite is like some like there's like an attorney uh, general from like Massachusetts or something that her you know and she dressed up as a Babadook and said celebrating pride here in 
forever, and, and it's like a public figure. It's that well known, oh and it my makes gosh. no sense with the context of the movie itself, which makes it even funnier to That's me. Hilarious. Um, I mean, the, my favorite comment is some guy said, you know, the Babadook uh, is gay because he likes uh, to dress nice and loves drama. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so it's just people just are riffing off of it but it's it's a thing now and uh, the director interestingly has not commented on it apparently she says she's aware of it but it's for whatever reason I, I, I imagine she just loves it and she doesn't want to ruin it by you know saying anything about it that's hilarious but um, I'm here for it <laughs> um, and also the second thing I want to mention is my favorite meme of the last year if, if that's even the right word is the meme of the the girl that showed up at what she thought was a Halloween party and she thought it was a costume party. Right. <laughs> and so she dresses up as the Babadook. Yes. And this and the photo that she posted just her by herself as a Babadook, surrounded by just normal people without costumes, drinking wine. Right. <laughs> and it and it's just called you know, the meme is that time I showed up as Babadook at a normal adult drinking wine party. Right. <laughs> and then now people are on that meme or a girl just in normal clothes drinking wine and then she's surrounded by Babadooks. <laughs> I love the internet. I know. It's so good. So all these will be posted when you, um, well, for Instagram, I imagine, when we announce the episode. Oh my gosh. The internet is so funny. Yeah. Just I mean, be funny and weird, please. Don't yes. be mean and evil. Yeah. The internet is can be a, a wonderful thing sometimes. It can. Sometimes. Yeah. Babadook, gay icon. That would not That's happen wonderful. without that. Yes. Babadook, I give it um, four and a half emotional scars. Yeah, I think this is easily, well, no, this is easily a five-star movie for me. It is so good, yeah. Gotta one-up me, don't you? So just one more thing to say. Uh, you you, know, you talked a lot about how you know the movie meant a lot to you and for everything uh-huh. you're going through with your son and this... And, uh, you know, just that's one more cool thing about, you know, the horror genre. You know, this goes back to our first episode, like why we even like these movies. is because it allows you to do those type of things within this framework of, like, if that was a straight-ahead story, you know, just about those issues, I don't think it would work as well. But you package it in this completely metaphorical sort of terrain. And you're ha- then suddenly you're, like, halfway through the movie and you're processing these things. And you don't even realize that's what that's you're kind so of That's so true. So I just wanted to kind of touch on that because I think that's that's kind of why I think we we like these movies. Yes. For that reason. Yes. Um, so call Definitely. back episode one. <laughs> <laughs> so Kristen, do you have a, a true crime for this episode? Yes. Okay. <laughs> it's a doozy. All right. Well, the first thing I want to kind of touch on, I'm not going to go into the whole story, is um, the documentary, There's Something Wrong with Aunt Diane. Which is an HBO documentary. I, th- I think I've mentioned it before. It just was, I could not help but think about this documentary. So, Diane is a mother and she drives her car the wrong way in traffic, killing her children and two of her nieces. On purpose? Or? Well, that's where the mystery starts. They oh. all die. And it starts to kind of unravel. They're trying to figure out what happened. And it turns out she has a lot of secrets. And a lot of it goes back to a toothache that she didn't want to ask for help to get it. She's scared of the dentist. Uh, I don't want to get, in case you want to watch it, uh, there's not. It's an HBO thing? Yes. She was denying her Babadook. She needed help. She had a a toothache just like Amelia, you know, we didn't talk about how Amelia pulled her own tooth out. No, but. 
I recall that scene. <laughs> Good for her. But what I do want to talk about is something um, somehow more depressing. Okay. Um, I'm going to tell you about... More depressing than that story or the movie or both? Both. Okay. Great. <laughs> I'm going to tell you about Andrea Yates. Okay. So I got a lot of this information from... An episode of Red Handed, which is a very good true crime um, podcast by two British ladies who have very wonderful accents, and they're very smart and funny. Um, this is episode 109. Do they talk I'll, about British true crimes, or just they talk about everything? Yeah. And then some also some other articles that I'll put on our show notes. So Andrea was born in Texas in 1964, the youngest of five kids. She was the Bella Victorian of her class, captain of the swim team in the National Honor Society. She went to nursing school in Texas uh, for eight years. She worked as a nurse at Houston's Cancer Center. Do you remember this name, Andrea Yates? It's just starting to sound very familiar. Okay. So Andrea met Rusty Yates when they lived in the same apartment complex in Texas. Rusty had actually gone to Auburn University. In like Alabama? There. Oh, yeah. okay. He was a engineer for NASA after he graduated. So they started dating, and three years later, they got married in 1993. They had their first baby in 94, a boy named Noah. She worked as a nurse for a bit, but eventually stayed home to be with her son, which I'm not sure if it was, if that's what she wanted, or if that was something that Rusty had always wanted. At this point, she starts to hear voices and thought the devil was talking to her. She had visions of stabbing, but kept them to herself. In 1995, she had her second baby boy. They were living in Texas, but Rusty took a job in Florida in 1996 for six months, and they lived in a 38-foot trailer. It was a really hard move for Andrea. So she had her third kid. Um, they were living in a 38-foot-wide trailer. Um, they moved back to Texas, and she had a fourth boy. Jeez. Yeah. And when they moved back to Texas, they moved into a 350-foot Greyhound bus. So nowadays, that would have been a really cool tiny home, you know? Yeah. But not for a family of six. No. And and maybe a family of six that could have handled it. Adam and I love tiny house hunters. We watch it all the time. And um, I don't know what to think about that, but go ahead. But we love tiny house hunters. They find a tiny house. Sometimes it's on a bus. Sometimes it is a van. And there had there was an episode where a woman had two kids, and they moved into like a four hundred square foot home. And there was like a scene of her. They didn't have a washer and dryer, right? So she had to wash all their clothes like in a little <laughs> manual thing. And there was a scene of her after she bought the house, and it was just like her outside, just going like. You know, because we don't have that many clothes and we have a washer and dryer. I have, I have to do this like every day. I just like saw the desperation in her eyes. And I was like, there's no way she's lasting in a tiny home. I would love a tiny home right now, but just like one, like an extra tiny home in my backyard. Just go play in every now and yes. then. Yes. Yeah, I guess my my whole, and I, this is not original, but, but just like why, 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 why? You know, that's all I can think about. <laughs> I mean, if it was just me, I would love a tiny home. No, Why? Because you it's can't. so practical, so cute. They're so nice inside sometimes. You have a little loft. Okay. I don't think you like it. Okay. But so there's more to this than just they wanted to be hipsters. This was, this was long before the tiny house movement, right? <laughs> they were trying to get rid of their possessions and minimize 
their belongings because Rusty followed the teachings of a, a street preacher uh, named Michael Waranecki, who also played football at Auburn. That's where they met. War Eagle. No, not in this house, Chris. Oh, I'm sorry. Roll Tide. Well, I meant you know, supporting. You know, I don't what care. I'm guessing are serial killers. I don't know. But. <laughs> I don't care either way. Okay. My husband They didn't beat Alabama this year. Did I you know. know that? Yes. Okay. I don't have to care about football anymore. My dad retired. I don't care. He describes himself as a non-denominational Christian ministry, whatever he does. He now um, makes EDM music. So that's fun. Sounds like a winner. He still has a website. John Raphael? (laughs) (laughs) Is that his name? (laughs) I don't know. His sister's name is Mona Lisa Raphael. I don't know. He was like a, so he's a former football star from Auburn, like bad boy type, getting in trouble. And then he started this ministry. But back in the day, he was like a fire and brimstone. Um, Him and his wife, Rachel, and their six kids would move around the country, not because they liked that kind of lifestyle, but because they kept getting like kicked out. Like they were, they would go to college campuses and yell at women. They shouldn't be at college. They should be at home having children they were almost they were very aggressive i mean similar to the westboro baptist church not i don't think quite well, as what evil. happened to them oh god so um, sad. but they believed that well he believed he believed he made this that only a few people would get into heaven he encouraged the yates family to but move you're out talking of about home. the preacher believes this not yes the, okay but they're but they're going along with it the Warneckies are actually the ones who sold the bus to the Yates. So they're very involved. Hmm. So after Andrea had her fourth kid, Luke, she had a major breakdown. Um, and, and in high school, she had a history of like bulimia and depression. But this is the first time she, I think she's had like a real nervous breakdown. She called Rusty at work, asked him to come home. He found her shaking and anxious and chewing on her fingers, saying she needed help. So Rusty brought Andrea and her four boys to Andrea's parents' house the next day, thinking that she would be safer there. That afternoon, she took 40 trazodone tablets, which had been prescribed to her father. I'm not sure what that medication is. I think it's a sleeping medication. Luckily, her mother found her and took her to the hospital. She was admitted to a psychiatric unit and diagnosed with a major depressive episode. She was released, but then back home... She held a knife up to her throat, saying she was going to kill herself. Rusty had to rustle the knife away, and she was admitted again. I had a boyfriend who held a knife up to his throat one time. Really? Yes. Said if I broke up with him, he's going to kill himself. That's kind of exciting. I was 16. I'm kidding. (laughs) And then he also burned my initials into his arm. But that was, he was just an asshole. She's obviously having real, like, psychotic issues. Anyway. She was hospitalized again and was given Haldol for her... He burned your initials into his arm? Sorry, good. He burned my initials into his With arm. With what? You just discovered it later yes. after you done it. Okay, I'm sorry. That was a mess. So she had another nervous breakdown, had two more suicide attempts. She described the hallucinations as, this is quote, there was a voice, then an image of a knife. I had a vision in my mind. Get a knife. Get a knife. Now, is this not like what Amelia was picturing? Yeah, for sure. There's that one scene we didn't talk about when she sees Samuel dead. 
Yeah. Like, and she and he wakes up and she's holding the knife. So she's seeing these images before they happen. It's the same thing that was happening to Amelia. There's also that same way you talk about where she's like just raging in the door, which is very Tony Collette. <gasps> very, and, very Tony Collette. Yeah, which was before Hereditary, so yes. maybe that was inspired by it. It has to. Because she could hold onto the top of the door frame and then just kicks the door open. Right, yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, so good. <laughs> so they moved the family out of the trailer or the Greyhound bus and moved, actually moved into a home. Rusty thought it would help. So while in the hospital, I mean, Rusty does come to visit her, brings her flowers. He's very involved with the medical things that are going on. He knows what medications she's on. But still, I don't think he quite gets it, you know. Andrea is still talking to Michael Warnecki and his wife, Rachel. They write letters back and forth. And they tell her, if you think you're going to heaven, you're not. There's nothing you can do. If you think you're going to heaven... You're not because you're too arrogant. They only believe a small amount of people are going to heaven anyway. Right. right. His wife, Rachel Warnecki, tells her that she's a witch and that she should repent for just for being a woman. But she's a woman. Yes. It's very confusing. Um, so this is all her main source of help. She's writing to these crazy people. Uh, the doctor who treated Andrea diagnosed her with postpartum psychosis, which is a much more serious version of postpartum depression. One in every thousand moms experience postpartum psychosis, where one in, in 10 moms experience postpartum depression, which I think it's some, sometimes they call the baby blues, which just seems like so, I don't know, it just seems pandering, the yeah. baby blues. I mean, it's like a serious, I luckily did not go through postpartum depression, but I just can't imagine. It's like you feel like you can't connect to your baby. You feel like there's no hope. I didn't realize that it was as high as one out of 10 women. I'm surprised to learn that. Yeah. But usually for postpartum depression, it lasts, I mean, about a week. Oh, okay. And then in a a small percentage of women, it'll last longer. But for a lot of women, it, you know, it's short term. But for a lot of women, it's longer term, which can be devastating. And then the postpartum psychosis is just a next level. There's hallucinations involved. It's much more rare. She has a, Babadook that's trying to get into her and she's trying to fight it. I have depression and anxiety, but I have been on medication for it for as long as I can remember. And when I got pregnant, I actually stayed on a low dose of my medication because the doctor said, if you go off of it, like the chances of your baby having any side effects to you doing it are so much less than you having a major depressive episode after having the baby. Mm. So I was so lucky that I had healthy babies and I stayed on my medication and, had a good lower, doctor, yeah. and then I I never had the postpartum depression I just can't even imagine so the doctors told Andrea and Rusty if Andrea had another baby there was a 50 to 80 percent chance of all the symptoms coming back and then being worse but Andrea became pregnant again in 2000 apparently they always said that they would have as many babies as nature allowed um, some of the teachings of Michael Warnecki were based in Catholic beliefs, so you can kind of see how yeah. she was never on birth control. But these are obviously extenuating circumstances. So they had a baby girl named Mary in November of 2000. Her father died in 2001, and Andrea started kind of going downhill. She stopped eating. She stopped feeding Mary the baby. 
She started cutting herself. She was reading the Bible like crazy. She was in a catatonic state and was again admitted into the hospital in and out. The doctors told Rusty she could not survive another night at home and she was a danger to herself. But they took her home. Rusty was told she could never be alone. On June 21st, 2001, Rusty was home with his family. Then he went to work. An hour later, her mom was supposed to come and watch them. She had, He had slowly been trying to give her more time alone. But in that hour, she drowned all five of her children. Jesus. She placed an 911 call and said that she was ill and needed an ambulance and the police. She then called her husband and said, come home. It's about the kids. He asked if something was wrong with the children and which ones. And she said, all of them. So the police officer comes to the home. He finds the baby Mary on the bed. He pulls the blanket back and there's three more little boys. The oldest, who was Noah, age seven, was floating in the bathtub. Randy comes home, starts screaming and pounding his fists. Andrea, at this point, is in a, still in a catatonic state. She's in shock. They take her in, and she gives, like, a 90-minute confession. Apparently, she drowned Luke, who was two, first, Paul, who was three, and John, who was five, and then laid them in bed. Then she drowned the baby Mary, and the oldest boy, Noah, caught her and asked the mom what was wrong with Mary. And he realized what was happening, and so she ran away from him. She ran after him and caught him. Is this not from a horror movie? No, oh, yeah. And dragged him back and drowned him, leaving him in the bathtub. And she took Mary out onto the bed. Um, so she's arrested. She confesses. She believed that Satan was in her and that all of her children were going to hell. And it was her job to save them by killing them. She thought one of her sons would become a serial killer. One would become a homosexual sex worker. One would become a mute. She thought that there was I'm no mute. way... I don't know. That's the worst one. Doesn't seem so bad. There was no way to save them except to kill them while they were children. So they were still innocent. She was diagnosed with the feeling that you were actually possessed by somebody else. Her Babadook. That's a diagnosis? Yeah. There's a term for it. I don't know what it is. Trichotillomania. Maybe that's pulling your hair. I don't know. But she, uh, the Babadook came in. She tried to fight it and it took over. Well, but what blame does these crazy preacher family have for in all this for implanting these ideas in her head? And I mean, they seem there's no way they could like like legally try them. No, yeah, I, I get that, but it just seems they like, should have some guilt. But I think they believed in their beliefs so much that they're like, well, you can believe what you want, but we didn't mean that. I feel. But so, for I think they're those very, ideas, I wonder. I know. I mean, but I mean, she obviously clear clearly had a history of sure. psychosis. And schizophrenia. Um, but her, you give someone with those that history these ideas intentionally. I don't know. That bugs me a little bit. Yeah, very much. I can't believe that they're still out there, and the and the the man Michael Warnecki is still out there preaching his story. And yeah, I mean, releasing I, his EDM albums. It's just <laughs> sickening. Yeah, I guess that's my point. I'm not saying he should not be allowed to do it, but at some point you must realize, oh shit, I'm a terrible person that's ruining these people's lives, and my beliefs are stupid and. They're dangerous. Yeah. Or not. Maybe it was just her. But it seems like there's a very specific, like when you're talking about her reasons for doing it, those seems like very specific, almost implanted ideas that mm -hmm. you don't necessarily just 
I don't know, come up with yourself. Well, and also that her husband was still enforcing it or not, you know, listening to the doctor and be like, there's no way we, we cannot have another baby. Or, I mean, just go get a vasectomy. Don't tell her, you know, if she's the one who really wants to have the children. I don't know, you know, how much was, how much power he had over them. He seemed, when we see him talk now, he seems like a normal guy. But so she pled guilty and she wanted to be punished. Like you had mentioned before, only 1% of cases are tried on an insanity defense. And only a quarter of those are tried successfully on an insanity defense. They were thinking about doing that and saying that she was not of a sound mind, but it was dismissed in 2001 and she was found guilty and given life imprisonment. Okay, this is fascinating though. Listen to this. But then in 2005, she was retried and found not guilty by reason of insanity. But the reason she was retried was because Dr. Park Dietz gave false testimony in her 2001 trial. He worked on the TV show Law and Order, and he testified under oath that the week before the murders, there was an episode of Law and Order where a woman drowned her kids and got away with it. They poured over scripts. They even talked to Dick Wolf himself and asked him, but no episode had ever been written or aired about this. So they thought that that swayed the jury. Huh. Isn't that fascinating? Why do you say that? I don't know. I guess he thought that no one would check. Or maybe he just wanted to mention that he works on Law and Order. I don't know. Yeah, that's a weird fact he created. It's so weird. And, I mean, later they did write a storyline because of this, but that was after the fact. Huh. He was just trying to prove that she had some sort of triggering event that caused it or something? I don't know. Seems strange. But, I mean, at that point it worked because she was, I mean, they, they couldn't try her as... Yeah. For, but so she's still in a psychiatric facility in Texas. Rusty divorced Andrea, and has remarried and has another uh, young son. He forgave Andrea very quickly, and he just he knew that that wasn't who she was, who killed their kids. Like apparently she was a very like she baked with them, she made valentines with them, they did crafts. You know she was a very she homeschooled them, and I guess. He already forgave her for that. I don't know if he, if he forgave himself yeah. or not, though. Her defense attorney, who was a family friend, George Parham, still talks to her a few times a week and thinks of her as a daughter. But there's really, I mean, there's no winner in this. It's no, just... no. I mean, this reminds you, though. I mean, like, I mean, I guess we could talk about how, if we wanted to, you know, what an evil person she is. But ultimately, the brain is an organ. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it gets sick. And what do you do? I mean, I mean, hopefully you don't do that, but I don't know that she was, I mean, that's, it seems to me like a, the, she is the reason that insanity defense exists. Yes. And again, uh, she's that quarter of the 1% right. that it actually does apply to. You know, she wanted to kill herself. She did. I mean, maybe it would have been better off, you know? Yeah. I hate to say that, but then these these five children would still be alive. The oldest one would be, I don't, how old would they, they'd be like in their mid-20s now. But she let that Babadook get in. Yeah. And there was no one there to fight it off for her, unfortunately. That's how it is sometimes. Sometimes you can't save the people that you want to. Because I guarantee you, her six and seven-year-old's boys would have done anything for her. But they couldn't protect her. It's sad. It is. 
But it makes you realize, you know, the Babadook in a way is an inspirational movie, kind of. Not inspirational is the wrong word, but aspirational maybe. The more you deny, the stronger I get. Right. And she shouldn't have had a second baby. She shouldn't have. She should have been hospitalized. I mean, I don't know. But I guess I also see the point of like they never thought that they that she was going to hurt the kids. Well, no. It no. always seemed like she was going to hurt herself. You know. So I see that too. But that is actually the first time I heard about postpartum anything was that story. So that's why I know about it. I think that's why most people know about it. Well, that's was that 2001? Is always said. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's just because my guy, but I, I had never heard of that before that. And I feel like when that story came out, that's how that was introduced into the, you know, the common sort of culture in a way. Yeah. So that is a good thing that come out, that came out of it. Suppose. But it's not anything. <laughs> but you that, would say that's postpartum psychosis, right? Not depression. Yeah, but I don't even think people really. Again, they called it the baby blues. Before I mean, that, that is what you're saying. Yes, doesn't that just that just sounds so patronizing? Yeah. Well, it seems like if you watch like an episode of Mad Men now, you maybe Betty Draper would have the baby blues. Yes, for instance, the baby blues. The way they talk about it. You need help when you have a baby. You need to ask for help. That is having kids. Yeah. Welcome to it. Yeah. It's not something I recommend, but it's something that I love, and um, that's it. Well, that is the conclusion of our heaviest episode by far. <laughs> I uh, have another true crime about... Please don't. Okay. <laughs> Can we stop? So follow us on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Look at my Babadook memes. <laughs> Remember when the Babadook was just fun? Right. And he was no, just... No, a- no. That was, an, uh, in a way, that was an excellent... Um, story for that movie for sure because that's what the movie's about mm-hmm. and you can't and for all we know that could have inspired the movie to some extent you know the bathtub scene yeah for sure oh god <laughs> alright let's go watch something happy okay well thank you um, rate read rate and review us is that right don't read us no rate and review on iTunes right I gave away some amazing stuff on my Stitch and Kristen oh, account cool. Uh, it was really fun. I got to connect with some people who wrote us reviews, and I sent them cool stuff. Like so what? I sent them some embroideries. But so me, follow but, me on. But what were the embroideries? Like of horror movie stuff, or just uh, my favorite murder stuff? Oh, okay. So if you're a my favorite murder fan and you want some embroideries, you know, follow my Stitch and Kristen also, and my comedy and my podcast. That I I'm tired. Let's go watch X Files. Okay. Good night. Good night. Bye.